Section 26 The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Sinner Written by himself by James Hogg This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The landlord and I accordingly retired to our homely bed, and conversed for some time about indifferent matters, till he fell sound asleep. Not so with me. I had that within which would not suffer me to close my eyes, and about the dead of night I again heard the same noises and contention begin outside the house as I had heard the night before. And again I heard it was about a sovereign and peculiar right in me. At one time the noise was on the top of the house, straight above our bed, as if the one party were breaking through the roof, and the other forcibly preventing it. At another it was at the door, and at a third time at the window, but still mine host lay sound by my side and did not awaken. I was seized with terrors indefinable, and prayed fervently, but did not attempt rousing my sleeping companion until I saw if no better could be done. The woman, however, were alarmed and rushing into our apartment, exclaimed that all the devils in hell were besieging the house. Then indeed the landlord awoke, and it was time for him, for the tumult had increased to such a degree that it shook the house to its foundations, being louder and more furious than I could have conceived the heat of battle to be when the volleys of artillery are mixed with groans, shouts, and blasphemous cursing. It thundered and lightened, and there were screams, groans, laughter, and execrations all intermingled. I lay trembling and bathed in a cold perspiration, but was soon obliged to bestir myself, the inmates attacking me one after the other. All oh, tame Douglas, tame Douglas, haste ye and rise out frant that incarnal devil, cried the wife. Ye are in aunt the old ain himself, for our last Tibby saw his cloven clutes last night. Lord forbid, roared tame Douglas, and darted over the bed like a flying fish. Then, hearing the unearthly tumult with which he was surrounded, he turned to the side of the bed and addressed me thus with long and fearful intervals. If ye be the deal, rise up, and depart in peace out to Hothi's house, afore the bedstay take kindling about ye and that it'll maybe be the wire for ye. Get up, and gang away out among ye cronies, like a good lad. There's nae body here wishes ye ony ill. Do ye hear me? Friend, said I, no Christian would turn out a fellow creature on such a night as this, and in the midst of such a commotion of the villagers. Nay, if ye be a mortal man, said he, which I rather think, from the use you made of the holy book, 
Nay, no, your practical jokes on strangers and an honest folk. These are some of your Oxford tricks, and I'll thank you to be all your wee with them. Gracious heaven, there are breaking through the house and at the four corners at the same time. The last, Tibby, seeing the innkeeper was not going to prevail with me to rise, flew towards the bed in desperation, and seizing me by the waist, soon landed me on the floor, saying, Be we a deal, be we'll chill, ye's no lie there till baith the house is under be swallowed up. Her master and mistress applauding the deed, I was obliged to attempt dressing myself a task to which my powers were quite inadequate in the state I was in. But I was readily assisted by every one of the three, and as soon as they got my clothes thrust on in a loose way, they shut their eyes lest they should see what might drive them distracted, and thrust me out to the street, cursing me and calling on the fiends to take their prey and be gone. The scene that ensued is neither to be described nor believed if it were. I was momentarily surrounded by a number of hideous fiends, who gnashed on me with their teeth and clenched their crimson paws in my face, and at the same instant I was seized by the collar of my coat behind, by my dreaded and devoted friend, who pushed me on, with his gilded rapier waving and brandishing around me, defended me against all their united attacks. Horrible as my assailants were in appearance, and they all had monstrous shapes, I felt that I would rather have fallen into their hands than be thus led away captive by my defender at his will and pleasure, without having the right or power to say my life or any part of my will, was my own. I could not even thank him for his potent guardianship, but hung down my head, and moved on I knew not whither. Like a criminal led to execution, and still the infernal combat continued till about the dawning, at which time I looked up, and all the fiends were expelled but one, who kept at a distance, and still my persecutor and defender pushed me by the neck before him. At length, he desired me to sit down and take some rest, with which I complied, for I had great need of it, and wanted the power to withstand what he desired. There, for a whole morning did he detain me, tormenting me with reflections on the past, and pointing out the horrors of the future, until a thousand times I wished myself non-existent. I have attached myself to your wayward fortune, said he, and it has been my ruin as well as thine. Ungrateful as you are, I cannot give you up to be devoured, but this is a life that is impossible to brook longer. Since our hopes are blasted in this world, and all our schemes of grandeur overthrown, and since our everlasting destiny is settled by decree which no act of ours can invalidate. Let us fall by our own hands, or by the hands of each other, die like heroes, 
and throwing off this frame of dross and corruption, mingle with the pure ethereal essence of existence from which we derived our being. I shuddered at a view of the dreadful alternative, yet was obliged to confess that in my present circumstances existence was not to be borne. It was in vain that I reasoned on the sinfulness of the deed, and on its damning nature. He made me condemn myself out of my own mouth, by allowing the absolute nature of justifying grace and the impossibility of the elect ever falling from the faith, or the glorious end to which they were called. And then he said, this granted, self-destruction was the act of a hero, and none but a coward would shrink from it, to suffer a hundred times more every day and night that passed over his head. I said I was still contended to be that coward, and all that I begged of him was to leave me to my fortune for a season, and to the just judgment of my Creator. But he said his word and honor were engaged on my behalf, and these, in such a case, were not to be violated. If you will not pity yourself, have pity on me, added he. Turn your eyes on me, and behold to what I am reduced. Involuntarily did I turn at the request, and caught a half-glance of his features. May no eye destined to reflect the beauties of the new Jerusalem inward upon the beatific soul behold such a sight as mine then beheld. My immortal spirit, blood, and bones were all withered at the blasting sight, and I arose and withdrew, with groanings which the pangs of death shall never wring from me. Not daring to look behind me, I crept on my way, and that night reached this hamlet on the Scottish border, and being grown reckless of danger, and hardened to scenes of horror, I looked up my lodgings with a poor hind, who was a widower, and who could only accommodate me with a bed of rushes at his fireside. At midnight I heard some strange sounds too much resembling those to which I had of late been inured. But they kept at a distance, and I was soon persuaded that there was a power protected that house superior to those that contended for or had the mastery over me. Overjoyed at finding such an asylum, I remained in the humble cot. This is the third day I have lived under the roof, freed of my hellish assailants, spending my time in prayer, and writing out this, my journal, which I have fashioned to stick in with my printed work, and to which I intend to add portions while I remain in this pilgrimage state, which I find too well cannot be long. August 3rd, 1712 This morning, the hind has brought me word from Redsdale, whither he had been for coals, that a stranger gentleman had been traversing that country, making the most earnest inquiries after me, or one of the same appearance, 
and from the description that he brought of this stranger, I could easily perceive who it was. Rejoicing that my tormentor has lost traces of me for once, I am making haste to leave my asylum, on pretense of following this stranger, but in reality to conceal myself still more completely from his search. Perhaps this may be my last sentence ever I am destined to write. If so, farewell, Christian reader. May God grant to thee a happier destiny than has been allotted to me here on earth, and the same assurance of acceptance above. Amen. I'll try. August 24th, 1712. Here am I set down on the open moor to add one sentence more to my woeful journal, and then farewell all beneath the sun. On leaving the Hind's cottage on the border, I hasted to the northwest, because in that quarter I perceived the highest and wildest hills before me. As I crossed the mountains above Haywick, I exchanged clothes with a poor homely shepherd, whom I found lying on a hillside, singing to himself some woeful love ditty. He was glad of the change, and proud of his saintly apparel, and I was no less delighted with mine, by which I now supposed myself completely disguised. And I found, moreover, that in this garb of a common shepherd I was made welcome in every house. I slept the first night in a farmhouse nigh to the church of Roberton, without hearing or seeing aught extraordinary. Yet I observed next morning that all the servants kept aloof from me, and regarded me with looks of aversion. The next night I came to this house, where the farmer engaged me as a shepherd, and finding him a kind, worthy, and religious man, I accepted of his terms with great gladness. I had not, however, gone many times to the sheep before all the rest of the shepherds told my master that I knew nothing about herding, and begged of him to dismiss me. He perceived too well the truth of their intelligence, but, being much taken with my learning and religious conversation, he would not put me away but set me to herd his cattle. It was lucky for me that before I came here a report had prevailed, perhaps for an age, that this farmhouse was haunted at certain seasons by a ghost. I say it was lucky for me, for I had not been in it many days before the same appalling noises began to prevail around me about midnight, often continuing till near the dawning. Still they kept aloof, and without doors, for this gentleman's house, like the cottage I was in formerly, seemed to be a sanctuary from all demoniacal power. He appears to be a good man and a just, and mocks at the idea of supernatural agency, and he either does not hear these persecuting spirits, or will not acknowledge it, though of late he appears much perturbed. 
the consternation of the menials has been extreme. They ascribe all to the ghost, and tell frightful stories of murders having been committed there long ago. Of late, however, they are beginning to suspect that it is I that am haunted. And as I have never given them any satisfactory account of myself, they are whispering that I am a murderer, and haunted by the spirits of those I have slain. August 30th This day I have been informed that I am to be banished the dwelling's house by night, and to sleep in an outhouse by myself, to try if the family can get any rest when freed of my presence. I have peremptorily refused acquiescence, on which my master's brother struck me and kicked me with his foot. My body, being quite exhausted by suffering, I am grown weak and feeble, both in mind and bodily frame, and actually unable to resent any insult or injury. I am the child of earthly misery and despair, if ever there was one existent. My master is still my friend, but there are so many masters here, and every one of them alike harsh to me that I wish myself in my grave every hour of the day. If I am driven from the family sanctuary by night, I know I shall be torn in pieces before morning. And then, who will deign or dare to gather up my mangled limbs and give me honorable burial? My last hour is arrived. I see my tormentor once more approaching me in this wild. Oh, that the earth would swallow me up, or the hill fall and cover me. Farewell forever. September 7, 1712 My devoted, princely, but sanguine friend has been with me again and again. My time is expired, and I find a relief beyond measure, for he has fully convinced me that no act of mine can mar the eternal counsel, or in the smallest degree alter or extenuate one event which was decreed before the foundations of the world were laid. He said he had watched over me with the greatest anxiety, but perceiving my rooted aversion towards him, he had forborne troubling me with his presence. But now, seeing that I was certainly to be driven from my sanctuary that night, and that there would be a number of infernals watching to make a prey of my body, he came to caution me not to despair, for that he would protect me at all risks, if the power remained with him. He then repeated an ejaculatory prayer, which I was to pronounce, if in great extremity. I objected to the words as equivocal, and susceptible of being rendered in a meaning perfectly dreadful. But he reasoned against this, and all reasoning with him is to no purpose. He said he did not ask me to repeat the words unless greatly straightened and that I saw his strength and power giving way, 
and when perhaps nothing else could save me. The dreaded hour of night arrived, and as he said, I was expelled from the family residence and ordered to buyer, or cowhouse, that stood parallel with the dwelling house behind, where, on a divot loft, my humble bedstead stood, and the cattle grunted and puffed below me. How, unlike the splendid halls of Dahl Castle, and to what I am now reduced, let the reflecting reader judge. Lord, thou knowest all that I have done for thy cause on earth. Why then art thou laying thy hand so sore upon me? Why hast thou set me as a butt of thy malice? But thy will must be done. Thy wilt repay me in a better world. Amen. September 8 My first night of trial in this place is overpast. Would that it were the last that I should ever see in this detested world. If the horrors of hell are equal to those I have suffered, eternity will be of a short duration there, for no created energy can support them for one single month or week. I have been buffeted as never living creature was. My vitals have all been torn, and every faculty and feeling of my soul racked, and tormented into callous insensibility. I was even hung by the locks over a yawning chasm, to which I could perceive no bottom. And then, not till then, did I repeat the tremendous prayer. I was instantly at liberty, and what I now am, the Almighty knows. Amen. September 18, 1712 Still am I living, though liker to a vision than a human being, but this is my last day of mortal existence. Unable to resist any longer, I pledged myself to my devoted friend that on this day we should die together, and trust to the charity of the children of men for a grave. I am solemnly pledged, and though I dared to repent, I am aware he will not be gainsaid, for he is raging with despair at his fallen and decayed majesty and there is some miserable comfort in the idea that my tormentor shall fall with me. Farewell, world, with all thy miseries, for comforts or enjoyments hast thou none. Farewell, women, whom I have despised and shunned, and man, whom I have hated, whom nevertheless I desire to leave in charity. And thou, son, Bright emblem of a far brighter effulgence, I bid farewell to thee also. I do not now take my last look of thee, for to thy glorious orb shall a poor suicide's last earthly look be raised. But ah, who is yon that I see approaching furiously, his stern face blackened with horrid despair? 
my hour is at hand. Almighty God, what is this that I am about to do? The hour of repentance is past, and now my fate is inevitable. Amen forever. I will now seal up my little book, and conceal it, and cursed be he who trieth to alter or amend. End of the Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Sinner Written by himself by James Hogg Audiobook recording by Claude Stewart